This is episode number 53 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Jeremy Spector is here. Randall J. Sanders, fresh off that big birthday, is here. I'm Ronan O'Shea. Lots of baseball to talk about here tonight. Minor League Baseball, Major League Baseball, the lockout. Jeremy's got a fun Cubs lineup game that we're going to play here, too. We're looking forward to that. This is podcast number 53, so we're going to talk about Rich Hill. This is the Dick Mountain Show tonight, 53. We're on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Give us a follow, share your thoughts. Randall, last week's show, big, big theme. Happy birthday. How was the birthday? We've been dying to hear how it went for you. Uh, well, Ronan, the, the birthday did the best it could, given the, the current everything. You know, birthday midweek. It's not like you can take off for your birthday, as nice as that would be. So the birthday did the best it could under the circumstances. But you know what? Next next year, or I guess, yeah, next year it'll be on a Friday. And the oh. year after that, it'll be on a Saturday. So uh, maybe maybe easier birthdays ahead. Did, did you end up getting that Portillo's, that chocolate I cake did, that you were talking about? I did end up getting that Portillo's, and, and it did. Uh, it went above and beyond the call of duty. And I'll tell you what, that chocolate-covered strawberry shake is worth every penny. That sounds delicious. I will say, best day of the year for Twitter, January 13. Everybody's talking about Randall. Randall, the Chicago Cubs, wished you a happy birthday. The South Bend Cubs had nachos ready to go. Pretty oh, the cool. South, the South Bend Cubs have granted me emergency rain nachos in the past, and that's what really? makes them. That's what makes the minor league experience uh, so heartwarming. Mm. Is you can tweet at the minor league team saying, uh, "Please send nachos to the concourse behind." Uh, section whatever and five minutes later somebody shows up giving you a uh, a nice container of nachos you know you would never want to abuse the privilege but nachos did you share the nachos or were they your nachos no they were they were my nachos oh, my nachos good. mine my nachos it, it is was, fun though yeah it was a fun day because it seemed like every tweet was just a happy birthday randall something about randall the entire feed was just all very randally and it was very exciting well you, you know the people like me enough to want to wish me a happy birthday. I, I, I couldn't explain why, but I suppose it's better to have to have that than the opposite. People wishing you a happy, you know, drop dead day. There were pictures of Randall, people tweeting out pictures of them with Randall. Yeah. It was just like everybody. I was like, well, wow, this is great. It made me very jealous. All these people that get to spend all this time with Randall, get their photos taken, wear matching clothes. I mean, all these things that I've begged Randall to do for 20 years and all these other people get to enjoy it. Well, Ronan, all I'm going to say to that is uh, moderation is a thing. You might try it sometime. Well, we've got matching shirts coming, Randall, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, some baseball news, though. Let's shift over here to the Cubs. The Some minor league news, I guess, today. Baseball America coming out with their top 100 prospects. And I'll admit, guys, when I saw the headline, my heart sank. I was upset initially when I saw the headline. The more I think about it, though, I think it makes sense here. So the headline is just two Cubs prospects land in the Baseball America Top 100 here on January 19th, long before spring training starts. We're in the middle of the lockout. The two Cubs on there, Brendan Davis, no surprise, he's at 16. Number 81 then, the young shortstop Christian Hernandez. So initially, Jeremy, I'm upset. I go, wow, the Cubs you know, got rid of a lot of good players last year. We know this farm system's on the up. Initially, I was expecting more than two, but I think what we got to remember is a lot of these Cubs prospects are very young. So should Cubs fans not be that upset by today's news? No, I don't think they should be upset. I, uh, I, I thought they were only going to get one. I thought Brent Davis would be the only one. I was actually initially surprised that Christian Hernandez is on there because he's only 17 years old. I think that's a pretty surprising ranking. That's a pretty high ranking for a guy who's never played in the United States. Never. He's only ever played in the Dominican summer league. Um, so yeah, I, and you know, as you said, a lot of the guys comes traded for are very young, 18 years old, 19 years old. So you gotta, you gotta play in, in lower level competition. You gotta play your way up. Uh, most of those prospect leagues are dominated by guys in double a triple a. So. And something else worth noting is that with the minor league rearrangement, you no longer have short season ball. A lot of these guys are going to be going from the complex teams in complex team in Mesa uh, right to Myrtle Beach, and that can be a really big jump. We saw Owen Casey struggle a little bit. We saw Ed Howard struggle a great deal. That, that's a really big jump without that intermediate level in between, and you're going to see a, got a, a lot of guys struggle. It's not at all out of the question that these young guys, 18, 19-year-olds, 
who are going to play full season ball for the first time in the 2022 season, you might not see them have great seasons and make these prospect rankings a year from now, just because it's going to be such an adjustment. But look beyond the slash line, look at the adjustments being made, look at the, the progress being made as a player and not just the slash lines as we go into this minor league season. And I think Cubs fans who, like me today, were a little bit disappointed when they initially saw it. I think the more important rankings to look at is going to be the midseason one. Once we see some of these guys playing, which of these young Cubs are going to jump up? And with that in mind, Jeremy, what are these other top names that you think have a chance of cracking the top 100 with a good start to the year? Yeah, well, a name Randall just mentioned, I think Owen Casey will probably have a good shot. I mean, he's going to start. He already jumped up to full season ball. He's going to start the year in full season ball. He hits the ball really hard. I mean, he has some limitations in the outfield, but he's really only kind of just come to baseball, being in Canada, learning things. So I, I think he's a guy that if he produces and hits the way we expect him to hit, he's a guy that can jump into the top 100 pretty quickly. Ronan, you mentioned the midseason rankings being as important as they are. Caleb Gillian is a guy who jumped a great deal between last year's preseason rankings and last year's midseason rankings to the point where his prospect, uh, his prospect cash had jumped so much higher by the time the Cubs acquired him relative to where he was ranked before the season. So we, we, you know, we can sit here and we can debate top 100 lists in January all we want, but you really have to get these guys on the field and you have to get them playing. And that, that may be the only game in town, uh, proverbially speaking, going forward. Hopefully it's not, but we may be doing a whole lot of minor league focus in 2022. Uh, let's hope not. And I think we got a lot to get to with the lockout, but Jeremy, did you have something to add there? No, I was just thinking about Caleb Killian. That would be like one name I'd kind of be disappointed a little bit about, you know, not being in the back half of the top 100. But, you know, he still has some sorts. We'll see how he pitches next uh, next year. He's already, you know, kind of older. He'll be pushing towards a major league, uh, you know, rotation spot. So that would be like a name that'd be like, okay, he should probably be somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Alcantara, a name that we could see on there. Maybe by midseason, Pete Crow Armstrong could be somebody who – cracks the top 100. I got high hopes for him. Yeah. I just like the thought of the Mets getting half a season of hobby. He's in Detroit. Now the Cubs getting an awesome, exciting center field prospect who then kills it. That would, that would satisfy Randall. I'd, yeah. be, I'd be a big fan of that. And we know Ron Santo would be a big fan of that watching baseball on his uh, crystal clear uh, heavenly television. He'd be going gee whiz every time Mr. Crow Armstrong did something worthwhile and anything that makes Ron Santo happy generally makes everybody else happy. Well, one other thing here before we move over to the lockout, two names that you aren't going to see on the list and not real surprise here, two guys that have had injury issues over the last couple of years. We can be worried now about Braylon Marquez and Miguel Amaya, right? Because I'm worried. I don't know that this is going to work out. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I would be worried about them. You know, they've had so much injury issue. Uh, you know, Mark has got the call up that final game in uh, 2020 and he looked, unfortunately, he was all over the place. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we're supposed, Mark is supposed to be healthy now. He's supposed to be in shape. He's going to be out there if there ever is a spring training and spring training. But, you know, it's been a couple of years now, but these guys have lost their luster. So that's unfortunate. You know, some prospects don't make it. Yeah. You know, pitching prospects are not a, a commodity to be depended upon. And, you know, I'm not ready to give up on either one just yet. Uh, if Braylon Marquez is healthy and he's ready to pitch again, I'm not willing to give up on a, a young lefty with that kind of velocity and that kind of pitch ability. Um, Miguel Amaya, I'm more worried about, honestly, than Braylon Marquez. Uh, he will not have played in what will probably be a season and a half by the time he gets back on the field. Tommy John isn't quite the, the death knell for a position player that it is for a pitcher, but a catcher still has to throw quite a bit. So there's always the question of how he's going to come back from that. And, you know, if, if his arm is not what it was prior to the surgery, that's going to drop his, his usefulness as a, a catcher a great deal. So I'm honestly more worried about Miguel Amaya than I am about Breland Marquez. And Amaya, that's going to be like three years of missed time because didn't play 2020, didn't really play last year. Didn't, not going to play this year. And he was hurt even before that, you know, in, uh, in previous years. So that, that's a lot of development time he's missed. Yeah. And you wonder then if the Cubs will do something a little bit different with Wilson, who they've got money to spend. Somebody maybe is going to be extended from this group. Maybe it will end up being Wilson if they don't think that depth is there right now at catcher. Um, 
Let's talk about CBA, though. Been in a lockout since midnight, December 2nd. Last week, the owners submit their most recent proposal. As expected, the players shoot it all down. Not good enough. A lot of things in there. Um, spring training is supposed to start February 15. We're recording this the night of January 19. I don't think spring training starting on time, guys. No, not in terms of pitchers, catchers reporting. I don't think so. Um, I, I don't think a deal, even when we played that game uh, last week or whatever, like I think almost all of us picked a date after February 15th. I'm not sure. Maybe February 14th, I believe was a date. Uh, I think I picked February 17th. So yeah, I, I think this is going to at least go into the first week, two weeks of spring training at least. Absolutely. They're not getting this done in time for pitchers and catchers to report less than a month from now. I, I still think it'll probably be mid-February until they get something done. And then you see a flurry, a, a rush, a deluge of off-season activity crammed into a week or two weeks, and they start spring training probably March 1st or so. I think, And that's the optimistic read for me at this point. And every day that goes by with no progress, I'd say, makes me more and more pessimistic. Are either of you getting to the point, because I am, that I'm worried about the start of the season. I don't like the lack of urgency. Let me put it that way. It just feels like things are moving way too slowly here. And they're very far apart. The owners and the players have very big differences on important topics from you know minimum salaries of players, when players should reach free agency, how much money teams could potentially be capped spending. These are big, big disagreements. And it feels like you know the player, the owners submit this half-assed proposal. And now it's just sort of in limbo. We're coming up on almost a week on it. I'm worried about opening day. Yeah, uh, the the, I'm, the players right now, uh, they're supposed to submit a counterproposal pretty soon. I, I saw reporting on that. I'm not worried yet because things don't really happen until like deadlines happen. So, you know, people kind of drag their feet. If it starts getting to like, you know, March, early March, then I'll, I, I'd be worried. And we're still like at this people are far away you know, as they are now, that'll, I'll start getting worried. But I think, you know, once you start then, because when things happen, I think they'll happen fast. So once people, they start talking and getting, I think it'll, it, when, it, when the deal's wrapped up, it's going to happen in a fast. It's going to be like a day or two. So I'm not worried yet. I, I will be worried in like a month and a half if we're still on the same point. Yeah, Jeremy, that, that's an excellent point. Things aren't going to get done until there's a very big risk of losing regular season games. We're not quite to that point yet, but we are getting there. We are very much running up to the point where the regular season is going to be in jeopardy. And you would hope that that, that spurs the two sides to actually start getting down to the nitty gritty of it. But again, until we get there, we, there's just no way to know if they're actually going to start talking. It, it's, it's, we're in a holding pattern right now and it sucks. Well, it's all about money, and I think what freaks me out about this is there's going to be playoff expansion. I don't want playoff expansion, but it's going to happen. There's going to be more teams advancing. At this point, the question is the owners want 14 teams. The players seem content to be 12. I would put my money that it's going to end up being 12, but that's still 12 of 30 teams making the playoffs. That means more money on kind of the back end of this season for the owners. Yeah, Maybe and they're not as concerned about the first week outside of opening day, the first week or two weeks of April, when it's cold in a lot of these cities, kids are in school, people, you know, like those midweek day games in April are very poorly attended everywhere, unless it's opening day. So maybe the owners are like, you know, who cares if we lose two or three weeks in April, we're getting an extra round of the playoffs. That freaks me out too. Uh, it's possible. Uh, I mean, I, I just, you know, we don't know that until, you know, it comes to it. Like I said, like if it's March, and we're in the same spot as we are now, then I will definitely be concerned because then that, I mean, we still have, you know, the end of January, all of February kind of to, to really get into it. And like I said, when things happen, I think they'll happen fast, but on the flip side of it, as much as like we worry about, you know, missing games, which nobody wants to miss games, that would be horrible. Um, If you could get like a deal that ushers in, you know, a pretty good deal that works out for everybody for the next five to however many years, I think that's worth it to, you know, miss a, a, a week of games if you're able to. Um, we're not at that point yet, but, you know, it's I don't think it's necessarily a huge killer to miss a week if it ends up being a decent deal. I think Jeremy, that's a, this, go ahead. Jeremy, that's a really good point is that, you know, this isn't ticky tack stuff that they're fighting over. These are very big and very important economic issues that 
have been building within the game for a number of years now, and they're going to continue to build as revenues go up. This is a very important fight. And if you were to say, we're going to lose a week of uh, regular season games, we're going to get this done and it's going to be labor peace for the next five years. Would you do that trade? Would you do that trade in those exact parameters? Would you trade one week of regular season games for getting a fair deal done for the players and for the owners? I, yeah, I, I just think like, you know, because there's a lot of talk of, you know, how terrible it would be. And it would be bad. I mean, it would be bad to miss games. I, I would hate it as a fan. But like, you know, the NFL missed a ton of games. They had a lockout. NBA's missed a ton of games. They had a lockout. Fans have come back to those. They, they're better than they were before in terms of, you know, their revenue. I mean, I don't know if the players think so, but it, so it's not like a huge loss for the future necessarily to miss time, I feel like. I, I, I kind of think the opposite. I think it, it would be a critical error for Major League Baseball to lose even one game. And, you know, to, to put kind of football in the mix, I mean, it's, it's such a different beast, uh, football versus Major League Baseball. I saw 91 of the top 100 most viewed things in the United States last year were National Football League games, 48 of the top 50. And the NFL makes as much money on their media rights as Major League Baseball makes for the entire year. The NFL next year is going to make about $10 billion just for putting games on TV. That's about where Major League Baseball is at in terms of annual revenue that, that they bring in. So I think Major League Baseball is playing with fire if they lose out on games, if they miss games. There's a lot of things to entertain people these days. Yeah, if but Major League Baseball doesn't want to be in the mix, it's going to burn them. There's But there's actually not that much to entertain people over the summer. Most of their competition is not but, there. But like I was in April. We're talking April, April sure, NBA, sure. Yeah. NHL. There's there's absolutely but, things that can get right, attention. but but those are the games that as you said are poorly attended and they're not, you know, in and as well. Um and like the NBA, they had like a 40 game 40 some odd game season the other year, and and their sale everything's gone up since then. Um, players, you know, the uh, more money poured into the game, they got bigger TV contracts, uh, players' salaries went up. I mean, guys like Myers Leonard getting 60 million dollars. Um, so I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't think it I don't think it's a killer. I don't think it's a huge deal to miss a little bit of time. I don't want it to happen. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but I don't think it's the end all be all of like everything. If you miss a little time, if you're able to get a fair deal that works for everybody, that 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 makes you know players uh owners spend more, players get more uh, you know. Uh, of, a, of a say in certain things I, I th that ushers in a better game. And for the future, I think it's worth it. I, I think I agree with Jeremy more so than Ronan. If you could tell me straight up that you will sacrifice, I will only sacrifice one week of regular season games for labor peace for the next five or six years. I would do that. The problem is we can't guarantee that. I would absolutely make that sacrifice as written, but we of course can't guarantee that. But if you could guarantee that for me, I would make that sacrifice. And I know it would be a risk, Ronan, you're, you're not wrong. It would be playing with fire. Already, you know, MLB has disappeared from the public landscape because there's nothing to, there's nothing going on right now. We'd at least have free agent signings to discuss. We'd have teams getting ready slowly but surely for spring training. We have none of that this year. Baseball has already fallen off the, the, the public horizon right now. I would make that sacrifice. I would sacrifice one week of regular season games if it meant labor peace. And the problem, of course, is that we can't guarantee that. But if I could guarantee that, that's what I would do. I mean, the ideal I, thing would be for everything to be perfect, right? And you get the deal done, you get as many games as possible. But I, I mean, I, I'm not just limiting it to a week. I, I, I think that, I mean, I don't want, you know, months of whatever, but I think if you get, and it's not just labor peace to me, like you have to fight for what you want. Um, I, I just think if you get a good deal, a deal that grows the game, that makes the owner spend, that makes everything, it's worth it to possibly lose some happen. things. And, and well, you don't know that you don't know I, what's going to happen. I mean, the players shouldn't just make a deal just for the sake of getting gains. I, I don't, I think that's not worth it. No, um, but I don't think, I don't think anybody really thinks this is going to be a fair deal. It may be better than what it currently is. Sure. But it's not going to be fair. Yeah, but it's I'm going to be very heavily lopsided uh, in favor of the owner. <laughs> I mean, we don't know what the deal will be, but yeah, it'll probably, but you get to make it better than what it is in the past. Yes. And, you know, in January, like if we're looking at previous seasons, like there wasn't a lot of action going on in January, February to begin with, um, you know, guys like Bryce Harper in the past aren't signed until March. So it's not like it's really out there. So like, if you could actually get deals where, you know, teams are actually 
trying and putting them uh, anything better. And I, I think it'd be worth it. You know, I don't, I don't think they necessarily should just make a deal for the sake of just, you know, we have to have 162 games. No, I, I think I, the way I'm thinking about that more is it's more on ownership. It's going to alienate a lot of fans. Okay, you and sure. I are going to yeah, be there when, when games come back. We'll be there. Of course, we're going to be there. But there's a lot of people who don't really understand the dynamics financially. They think the players make too much money. They maybe think the owners are greedy or not enough for trying. But at the end of the day, they still see a $300 million contract and go, oh, that guy's overpaid to play a kid's game. It would be bad optics out of a pandemic to shutter the gates because billionaires and millionaires are fighting over percentage points. I think they'd lose a lot of fans over that, even if it was a week or 10 days or a month of games, that, that, especially as the NBA season's heating up and hockey's moving into playoff time. I, I just think that would be a huge disaster. And that's why I'm panicking because I want this sense of urgency from the owners and the players. Like, let's just get this done. There's this assumption like, okay, spring training just can't start on time. Well, start talking for real now Instead of it's like it's like they've got a softer deadline sometime in March, and that's the real deadline. And I, I mean, just there's no sense of urgency. Perhaps, um, and I agree with you. I mean, it would be a bad optics. People wouldn't be happy. But but my point is, that I, I I don't think it would. I think fans would come back. I think fans would especially come back. You know, over the summer where things are happening. And as I said, like previous leagues have gone under lockouts. Previous leagues have done better than they had before the lockout. It's not like the fans held it against them. I mean, baseball is a little different because we have this history of like the, everybody telling us how much, you know, the game sucks and it's dying and, you know, and that gets fed into the fans. So all these other things. So that kind of plays into it, but I, I don't know. I just think that I, I want them to get the best deal they possibly can. I don't want them to, I want them to get it, you know, today. So I don't want to miss anything, but if they have to miss some time, I would think it would suck but I don't think it would be the end of the world. Well, spring training, again, supposed to start February 15. Some of the media beginning to apply some pressure. Ken Rosenthal, recently fired from MLB Network, basically saying, calling out the owners more so than the players and saying, it's time to get this done. Um, he sort of had that same idea, too, of you can't miss any games. That's something Major League Baseball absolutely has to avoid. Uh, here's a fun stat. And, Jeremy, you kind of mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I was looking at it earlier today. The Pittsburgh Pirates had a higher opening day payroll in 2003 or 2021. In 2003. Yeah. Both right around $54 million. But think about that for a minute. League revenues have more than doubled since 2003. The 2021 Pittsburgh Pirates with a lower payroll than the 2003 Pittsburgh Pirates. That's, that should not exist in baseball. That should not exist. And the 2003 Pittsburgh Pirates were also dumping salary by yeah. trading like arbitration guys like Aramis Ramirez. So they had higher salary than they did now. And they were still doing that. Um, but I agree. I mean, I'm, Jason Kendall is the highest contract in I believe in Pittsburgh Pirates history. And that was like 20 years ago. And he signed for like $55 million. So, you know, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, we have to get those things sorted out. So if we could do, make anything about like, increasing those, I'm for it. And just to go back on Rosenthal, I thought it was a little interesting. He was also taking some shots at Manfred, a lot of shots, like kind of at Manfred in this little article he wrote today. And I don't know if that's just because what happened at MLB Network or whatever, but he seemed a little like, okay, I'm going to start going a little harder now. He's taking his opportunity now that he doesn't have to worry about MLBN anymore. And I do not blame him one bit. It's going to lead to better reporting. Not that I think that he was sacrificing uh you know his integrity or anything before but the the chains are off so to speak now i think you might see a little more pointed ken rosenthal moving forward speaking of better reporting i want to touch on something real quick and this went up uh literally last thursday the day after we recorded our previous episode nbc sports chicago their twitter account which is not a particularly good twitter account they put up a story without a byline on it but the headline read owners propose return to play players balk and I know we talked for a minute last week about kind of combating the narrative. That's absolutely the kind of thing that you should call out if you see it. And I did using our Twitter account, telling NBC Sports Chicago that they could probably do better. Uh, so when you say better reporting, that's the first thing that comes to mind is don't let outlets get away with this players refusing re to return to play narrative because it's simply not true. And we know where it's coming from. It's coming from ownership. So don't let that don't let that happen. If you see it, do your best to call that out. Did Jerry Pennett himself? 
he might have. There was no byline on it. And, you know, it was published on the part of their website with all of the uh, White Sox graphics and flags on it. So we cannot rule that out. Speaking Rary, of Jerry. Rary, Rary Giantsdorf. It was, it was credited to a Rary Giantsdorf. Speaking of Jerry, uh, he was the only owner to get a mention in that Ken Rosenthal article. Um, when he was writing about, he was actually, he was talking about the job Manfred has of ha- keeping all the owners together too, because different owners might have different feelings about different things and they form their own cliques. Um, you know, small market owners, small market owners and quotes against, you know, large market owners who might be okay spending more money, I guess, you know, in an ideal world. Um, he did mention about how Jerry Reinsdorf in 1994 wanted to get a salary cap and he's still fuming over that. <laughs> so as being a, a guy, cause um, you know, that why he might not be super happy with Ma- Rob, Rob Manfred today. Cause he's still mad about the job Manfred did in 94, <laughs> not getting a salary cap. That's interesting about Jerry. And Jerry was one of those owners that was not totally sold on Rob at right. the beginning, too. That's something, Jeremy, you've talked about a lot, that he thought Rob Manfred wouldn't maybe be hard enough uh, uh, sort of behind the owners and pushing some of the owner priorities, or at least that click that Jerry's in. Yeah, uh, there was, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf, when Rob Manfred was up for election to be commissioner to succeed, Bud Selig, Jerry Reinsdorf, who was very close friends with Bud Selig and lockstep almost all the way with Bud Selig. They were the ones that ousted Faye Vincent and did the whole strike in 94. And Manfred was Bud Selig's handpicked successor. Jerry Reinsdorf tried to tried to oust him, tried to get a little thing going where um, Manfred wouldn't be elected. And, and Jerry lost. Uh, Bud Selig was able to get Jerry elect, uh, Rob elected, but Jerry tried to get a different guy in there. Well, here's a question for you, Randall one of the most miserable questions you'll ever receive in your whole life. Wow. We, we, we do this every week and every week you top yourself. <laughs> Does Rob Manfred make you miss Bud Selig? No, not especially. I mean, bad. Worse does not make you miss bad. Bad does not make you miss worse. I, if both of them were to disappear, I wouldn't miss either of them. Um, you know, you, we can say all we want, but here we are under Manfred and we are experiencing another work stoppage. So, which we've gotten to see in all four of the major pro sports in the last, uh, what is now 12 years. So uh, we, we have that going for us. We're four for four. Yeah. I, I would just say the difference between Manfred and Selig to me is Bud Selig cared about baseball. Bud Selig was a baseball fan, Bud Selig loved baseball. He might've been, you know, as an owner, wrong head about things might've done terrible things, mm-hmm. but Bud Selig actually gave a damn. And Rob Manfred does not seem like that at all. It's a problem too. Like the illusion of what a commissioner is, is gone. We all know that they represent the owners and the owners and the players have their agreements and disagreements, but you don't get the sense that he actually likes baseball and loves this sport. And this is a sport like fans like us in particular, that matters to us. You know, like we know you're going to be an asshole. You're the commissioner, but can you at least enjoy the sport and care about it beyond just the dollar signs and bags of money that you bring home. That's and I, I, I agree with you, Jeremy. I agree with you completely that Bud Selig, and I got lots of problems with Bud. He loved baseball. He was important to Milwaukee, which I love the Cubs Brewers rivalry. I appreciate the fact that they're so close. Randall's rolling his eyes so hard at me uh, right no, now. No, I did not roll my eyes. I raised my eyebrows. Those are two very <laughs> okay. different gestures. Well, I, I enjoy it. And, you know, Bud Selig's a big part of that history up there, no question. But Rob, he just he's miserable. And his communication skills, he just, when you look at him, I mean, he's one of the easiest people to boo at a baseball stadium. Yeah. And that's why my vote for, instead of Rob Manfred, whenever Selig were to retire, I I was a voter for uh, George W. Bush because that was a man who also (laughs) loved baseball. And I feel like commissioner of baseball was the perfect role for him. Yeah. Maybe a better (laughs) landing spot, right? (laughs) Yeah. Commissioner of Baseball. Well, we uh, want to have some fun here this week. Jeremy was lamenting earlier today that there's just not a whole lot going on. A little bit of minor league news. The lockout is really just me having a panic attack that, come on, let's make this thing happen. I want to see some baseball. I want spring training baseball. That's awesome. Getting up uh, in February and March, putting on the TV, and the Cubs are playing down there in Phoenix. That's so, so cool to see. Uh, but, Jeremy, you want to have some fun. A Cubs draft of sorts. What do you have in mind? As you mentioned, there's not really much going on. There is just, you know, a lot of no news, which is unfortunate. So I thought we could do an all-time Cubs draft. You know, we're drafting. It's going to be 10 rounds. We'll have eight position players, a starting pitcher, and a relief pitcher. So mm-hmm. 10 players. We're putting together our best, you know, Cubs lineup team, best Cubs team you're going to field 
on and, and we'll probably compare the players afterwards. Sure. Um, we'll do a snake draft, just like your normal fantasy draft is, you know, well, we're going to actually figure out the order on air here in a little bit. And so that'll be mm-hmm. kind of fun. And, and, and to me, and the way I'm thinking about it, and if you guys agree, we're drafting Cubs, but like, just I'm guys who were Cubs, like as they were Cubs, like I, if I'm drafting Greg Maddox, I'm drafting Greg Maddox, the Cub. Now that includes 80, like 80. I'm not like, that's how I am in my head. I mean, maybe, but like, I'm thinking guys that were cubs we're drafting them as like i don't want to draft you know joe nathan yeah and then like i get like what I, you're i'm thinking i'm getting his whole minnesota twins career and San Francisco yeah. giants career right that's how it is to me okay okay if you guys uh, are on board with fun. that i'm on I, board I think this is great i think this is great and i want to even propose one other thing here okay. too because i know you're setting up the number generator right for our uh, who's drafting in what order let's start with a manager we just oh, need yeah. to pick who our manager is going to be, and then we'll get to the players. Uh, and, you know, the birthday boy should go first for picking a manager. So, yeah. Randall, who is your manager for your all-time Cubs team? Well, you know, I've seen exactly one Cubs manager win a World Series in my lifetime. I don't think I could pick anyone other than Joe Madden as the manager for my drafted Cubs team. So my manager is Joe Madden. Good pick. Uh, you want to go, Ronan, or, you, or should I take this? You take it. All right, I'm going to go with a, a guy I love. Uh, I'm going to go with the old Sweet Lou Pinella. Sweet Lou. That's a good one. That's a good one. I had My head went to a lot of different places here. But I've been watching a lot of old This Week in Baseballs. They're on MLB TV. And I happened to catch one. And Jeremy, my memory is the last time you were here, I think we also watched this episode, but it was from September of 1989. And how do you not love the 1989 Chicago Cubs? I was two, so unfortunately I don't remember it. But I'm going Don Zimmer to manage my all-time Cubs team. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. And uh, remember, you're getting Cubs Don Zimmer, not Red Sox. Yes. Or excuse me, Yankees Don Zimmer, who was thrown down by Pedro Martinez on the Red Sox. <laughs> so you're, you're getting Don Zimmer with all of his hip bones intact, yeah. courtesy of Pedro Martinez. That's a good one. All right, what's our order here? All right, you want me? I, I guess I could just look this up, and uh, I could also, if you guys are interested, I could share the screen. You can see what I'm doing here. Uh, if not, I, I could just follow your lead. All right, if you, you guys you trust me, right? We, we trust you, Jeremy. We're, right. we're not going to know one way or the other. So I'm just going to do it the way I see it on the screen. That means Randall is one, I'm two, and Ron's three. Well, I, in fairness, I think Randall should be two. I think that's, you know. All right. Did you want to be one or three? I'm, I'm fine with a three. All right, so I'll be one, Randall will be two, Ronan's three. Right. And Make the order is ping pong balls. One, three, two. Unfortunate, Randall, you got last. Oh, well, so be it. <laughs> All right, so I believe with the first overall pick in it's the me. 2022 All Time Cubs draft, Jeremy Spector selects. Yeah, so I was thinking long and hard about what I would do with the first pick, but I think, you know, it's the first pick, so I got to go with Mr. Cub. I'm going to go with Ernie Banks. Makes sense. You know, I thought about this too, and uh, I had to come by, back to my guy. So I, I'm starting in right field. I'm starting with number 21, the Cubs' all-time home run leader, Sammy Sosa, the right fielder for my Chicago Cubs. All right. With my number three overall pick, I'm going to shore up the shortstop spot as well. I'm going to take Javi as the shortstop on my all-time wow. Cubs team. Okay. Because, you know, you're, you're nothing without a good shortstop, and Javi was nothing if not a good shortstop in his time as a Cub. Uh, so I believe snake style means I go next again. That yep. is correct. All right. Uh, with my, I don't know, I guess my fourth overall pick, I am also going to take, I'm going to take Aramis, and I'm going to take Aramis hmm. as my third baseman. So Aramis Ramirez is my third baseman. Is it my turn? Yeah, it's yes. your turn. Probably. Wow, yes, how about is. that? Um, I'm also going to go to third base, but I'm going to go to the best Cubs third baseman of all time, Mr. Ron Santo. Ah, you stole a guy right from out from Jeremy's under Jeremy's draft board taking a big hit. Big right, hit. Jeremy. Loved me some Ron Santo. So it's very disappointing that I didn't get my Ron Santo. So I'm going to start off with a second baseman. I'm going to go with the old boy, Ryan Sandberg. Okay. You know what? I'm going to go because it's just there's so many third basemen. Uh, but, well, you guys got your third baseman. So what, why, why am I taking a third baseman? I can leave my third baseman to the end. Yeah. Uh, 
So in that case, I'm going to go with a catcher. And I'm going to go with the homer and the glowman, Gabby Hartman. It's hmm. a solid pick. Well, I'm going to do it, boys. I uh, knew Randall wouldn't do it. I thought Jeremy might. You may not like him. I get it. But Cap Anson could hit a baseball, and he's my center fielder. <laughs> really all right. going all time there. Oh, yeah. Uh, is, it, is it my pick? Yeah, you get two, two in a row, Randall. Two. I do get two in a row. Now, here's my question before my next pick. Am I allowed to pick a player and put him at a position uh, that he did not necessarily play full time? No, no, no. no well, no, no, well no. he's got to be that position. Okay. Yeah, he's got to be like he played it a significant amount of time. Okay, like, and he... so with the approval of my fellow team owners here, I'd like to select Chris Bryant as a left fielder. Do we permit that? He's a third baseman. Yeah, he's a third baseman. All right. All right. I I submit to the will of the draft board here. And so I'm going to go ahead and take Derek Lee as my first baseman. You get another pick. pick. I do get another pick. All right. I will go ahead and I'm going to take Dexter Fowler as my center fielder. Ooh, Dexter Fowler. I don't have three I'm picks in a go, row. With somebody I, you else. know, I keep forgetting I'm in the middle. I'm in the, I'm the Oreo, the cream. You are the, the Oreo. I've got a really good right fielder in Sammy Sosa. Uh, fantastic center fielder, Cap Anson. Again, I know, but great player. Left field, sweet swinging Billy Williams. Hall of Famer in left field for me. Oh, that's a good pick. I like that pick. All right. Um, so it's on me. You got it two in a row. Pick. All right. I am going to take with my first pick. Let me just look at the who we all have taken. So I'm going to take for my first baseman, I'm going to take Anthony Rizzo. Hmm. Just because I'm a big Riz guy. And then I think I'm also going to take, you know what? I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to do it. I think I'm going to take. I, I just want to leave. I, I'm going to take Bryant. I'm going to do Bryant, Rizzo and Bryant, first and third. Okay, the World Series combo. Yeah. First and third. So my outfield set, Billy Williams in left, Cap Anson in center, Sammy, sweet sweet old Sammy Sosa in right field. I got Ron Sano, the Hall of Famer, at third. I've been thinking about the other side of the infield, and first base is interesting, and I'm, I'm going with a guy that I grew up with. And here's another guy who's had some issues off the field, but a fantastic player. Puts a left-handed bat to kind of compliment Billy Williams there in the lineup. A doubles guy, Mark Grace, over at first base for me. Mark Grace, by the way, 11th all-time in F-War for Cubs hitters. So really, truly, one of the greatest Cubs of all time, Mark Grace, at first base for me. Good pick. All right. It is my pick again. I believe I have two in a row again. Mm -hmm. And so we need a catcher. Team Randall does. And so I'm going to take Wilson Contreras as my catcher. And then we are going to need a second baseman. And sadly, the best second baseman in team history is uh, off the board. And sadly, Brian Roberts never made it to the Cubs as close as that seemed at times. And so for second baseman, I'm going to take Nico. I think Nico is a real good compliment to this infield. Interesting pick, Randall. That's a very interesting pick. That is, that is good stuff, Randall. Uh, let's see here. So what I'm looking at is, I'm, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it here. I'm going to go to starting pitcher. I'm going to take the first pitcher of anybody here. Uh, my other positions that are open right now are catcher, second, and short. So I got to kind of do some math there. I already know who my relief pitcher is going to be. So you know what? I'm going to do that. Are there better relief pitchers in Cubs history? Probably. Is there anybody I'd rather have on the mound? Game seven, ninth inning, the entire season on the line, absolutely not. Really one season with the Cubs, 1.1. Rod, the shooter, Beck, as my relief pitcher, bringing things home in the bullpen. There you go. There you go. Rod Beck. So for me, since I have no outfielders, (laughs) I'm going to go in center field. I I got all my infielder right done. I'm going to take the man himself, Hack Wilson. Had a monster year, 191 RBIs. And then I think I will go to the mound. I think I'll go to the mound as well. And I think, and I, even though I know I said you weren't getting, I, it's tough. 
it's tough to be the first guy to take a guy off the mound, I guess. But I think even though I said you aren't getting the Braves version of him, I still love him. I still think he's great. I think I think I'll go Greg Maddox. You still get 1992. Yeah. Fantastic guy. Greg Maddox. All right. I believe that makes it my pick once again. No, it's uh, Rona's pick. Okay. Does that make it? He's, al- he's always trying to poach guys. Yeah. Ronan, Ronan, don't take <laughs> no. any players I'm thinking of taking. Well, no, I'm going to catcher. And you've got a catcher in Wilson Contreras. Jeremy's right, got problem solved. one of the great ones in uh, Gabby. And I was thinking about what catcher would be a good fit. A couple names obviously come to mind. Randy Hunley is a direction you could have gone. I'm going to go with the heart and soul of the 1984 Chicago Cubs. And uh, a guy who hit more than 110 or maybe 120 home runs as a Cub. So I'm going to go with Jody Davis behind the plate as my catcher. All right. Excellent pick on the part of Ronan. Uh, so I've still got some spaces to fill, and I believe I do have the two consecutive picks again. Uh, mm-hmm. I am going to get my starting pitcher in Ferguson Jenkins. You need a guy who's going to be out there every fifth day for you, who you can rely on, and who's better at that than Fergie Jenkins. And then I need a little bit of lefty power in the lineup, so I'm going to put Kyle Schwarber in as my left fielder. <laughs> all these recent Cubs and Fergie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's an all-time team. Perfect. It's an all-time right. team. All right. Uh, second base is where I'm thinking now, and I, yeah, I thought about a couple of things here. If we wanted to go all the way back, to the old days and the, the early World Series run, you could absolutely make a case there. Uh, the middle infield was obviously historic for the Cubs back in the uh, 120 years ago, wherever it was at this point. But I'm going to go in a different direction. And I think this is fair. He did play a lot of positions, but the World Series hero in 2016, Ben Zobrist. Is that fair to put Ben Zobrist at second base? I think that's fair. He, he yeah. even played like full seasons pretty much as a second baseman. I, I think that's a fair thing. Cool. Well, I'm taking Zobrist, not Juliana, but I'm taking Ben and I'm putting him at second base. So I got, I got. Well, g- some... give us a rehash of your team. Yeah, I'll uh, give you a rehash of my team. So I got, I got, I got my whole infield set. It's Gabby Hartnett at the catcher, Anthony Rizzo at first, Ryan Sandberg and Ernie Banks as up the middle, Chris Bryant manning the hot corner and sorry, Randall, but we didn't allow you to take him. I got Hack Wilson center and I got Greg Maddox on the mound. And I think I'm going to go back to the mound. I'm going to pick another hall of famer. I think I'm going to pick Bruce Suter. I just, you know, I need a relief pitcher. There's a bunch out there. I I just thought, you know, he's going to give me innings too. Like I'm going to get some, if Maddox can't go, which who knows, I got young Maddox and old Maddox. (laughs) I'm going to get Bruce (laughs) Suter. Um, and then I think I got to go old school. I feel like, cause there's not a lot of, I feel like, I don't know. For some reason it just seems like the outfielders, you know what, actually this might not be, you know what? I'm going to go with some favorites. It, it might not be the best guys to go with, but I can't not take him. He won an MVP. I don't go with Andre Dawson. He was my favorite. Mm. It, it just, you know what? He might not be the most deserving guy as a cub, but I think, you know, most of his damage done as an expo. But I think he's just too – I just loved him so much. I'm going to do Andre Dawson out there in right field. You love him so much, you've got a dog. Yeah, named I, after I could not take him. The Hall of Famer. Uh, awesome, awesome player. And when you think about that, uh, those teams that he was on with the Cubs, his knees weren't there. He could barely run all those years playing on the AstroTurf. But, man, was he fun to watch as a Cub. And that arm, that's something – there's certain guys in Major League Baseball history, Ichiro's one but they just have a cannon of an arm. Andre Dawson was one of those guys, no question about it. And you kind of need that in right field. Yeah, I believe there's a great clip. I want a clip of, I want to say it's Warren Cromarty of the Expos in the late 80s where Dawson just picks up a ball that's hit down the line, has to run to go grab it and throws him out at third. And it's just an absolute uh, laser cannon. And I know Randall would love this one is Dawson got rung up by Joe West in the early 1991 game and he was not happy about it. And he went back to the dugout and started throwing bats onto the field. So you can find that one on YouTube. That's a good, that's a good clip to watch too. Is it back to me? Yes. Um, the only position I'm missing uh, is starting pitcher and shortstop. So that's what I'm down to. I was thinking about Cubs shortstops. It's kind of ugly historically. Uh, it's not been a position that the Cubs have had a lot of talent over the years. I look so forward going... to you drafting Ryan Terrio here. No, 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 no. Goodness. No, no. Ray We're Sanchez. going back. How many guys can say they've won multiple world series of the Chicago Cubs? Oh, here we go. Joe Tinker can say that. So I got Joe Tinker at short. Imagine that Joe Tinker to Ben Zobris to Mark Grace. That makes a lot of sense. That's who I'd have at shortstop. 
Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Yeah. And, you know, world, multiple World Series champions. That like the sound of that. I think Wilson likes the sound of that. And Kyle Hendricks likes the sound of that. And maybe they can make that happen here. All right. I believe we are back to me. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Two for you, Randall. All right. Two for me. Finish All it right. up. You got two gonna, picks left. I'm going to fill out the rest of my roster. You know, you guys have already taken Sammy. You've already taken Dawson. Right field getting mighty thin the rest of the way. So I'm just going to go defense out there and right. I'll put Jason Hayward out there. And then I need a relief pitcher again, more recency bias, but I've been a big proponent of his. I'll put Craig Kimbrell in there as my relief pitcher. And so I have filled out my lineup. I have catcher Wilson Contreras, first baseman, Derek Lee, second baseman, Nico Horner, shortstop Javier Baez, third baseman, Aramis Ramirez, left fielder Kyle Schwarber, center fielder Dexter Fowler, right fielder Jason Hayward, starting pitcher Fergie Jenkins, and relief pitcher Craig Kimbrell. I like it, Randall. I like it. And uh, that leads me down to one final player, a starting pitcher. And I'm going old school, uh, the greatest Cubs pitcher of all time. As you guys know, I've got a thing for Cubs players that either have too many or too few digits. You got Coy Hill, you got Antonio Alfonseca, and you got this guy, Mordecai Three Finger Brown, multiple World Series wins with the Chicago Cubs, dominated baseball 115 years ago. That's my starting pitcher. And imagine the sight going from Mordecai Three Finger Brown to Rod Beck to close things out. That's how you do it. So rest of my team here, Jody Davis behind the plate, Mark Grace at first, World Series hero, Ben Zobrist at second, another World Series hero, Joe Tinker at short, Ron Sano. Our Hall of Famer, the Hall of Famer at third. Awesome outfield here. Billy Williams in left, Cap Anson in center. Sammy Sosa hitting bombs out in right field. Starting pitcher, Mordecai, three-finger brown. Closing pitcher, the shooter, Rod Beck, under the leadership of manager Don Zimmer. And he's going to need that leadership, you know, with Cap Anson and, uh, you know, maybe Joe (laughs) Tinker and Mordecai Brown getting along with, like, Billy Williams and Sammy Sosa. Uh, You got the all-black and white team there. I meant black and white in terms of color and, uh, you know, before color pictures. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, so I got one pick left. It's a left fielder. I'm like on the fence about it. Uh, there's a bunch of guys I kind of want to draft, but, you know, he may not have ended his career that great as a Cub, um, but he started off pretty good and he, he got that monster deal and he took us to two playoff appearances. So I'm going to go in left field. I'm going to go with Alfonso Soriano. You wow. know, there was a bunch of left fielders I could take. I was thinking, you know, maybe like an Andy Pafko, who was like my grandpa's favorite player. But I, I'm going to go with Elf. Just give me the Elf. All right. You've so, got the Elf. Yeah. To to line up my team, I got Gabby Hartnett behind the plate. I got Anthony Rizzo at first, Ryan Sandberg at second, Ernie Banks at short, Chris Bryant at third, Alfonso Soriano left field, Hack Wilson up the middle and center, uh, Andre Dawson, the Hawk in right field, Greg Maddox on the mound, and Bruce Suter backing him up. Cubs have had some awesome players over the years. Yeah. Who's the worst omission? Like, who's the best player that none of us got to? And it's not necessarily because we didn't like that player or they're not right. good. We had three choices and the position yeah. locked up. So who do you think is the top miss that we all had here looking at this list? I mean, there's a lot of guys, I, I would say, like, especially, you know, towards the earlier portion of you know, of the last century. Um, but like, you know, there's a bunch of guys like the 1930s and forties, like, you know, Phil Cavaretta, Stan Hack, like guys, you know, you can only take a few, there's three third basemen. And I think those three third basemen are all pretty good. Um, so, you know, guys like that, you know, Johnny Evers, uh, you have Joe Tinker. So Johnny Evers, uh, would be another one, you know, guys like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of hard to separate a guy's what the the guy's couple seasons that made him notable versus his entire career as a cub like i'm thinking did we omit giovanni soto but giovanni soto had a very short peak as a member of the chicago Cubs. so it's kind of subjective as to whether we omitted him or whether we intentionally passed him over so you know if if you want to make that your criteria guys who had two or three good seasons as a cub there's a lot of guys we passed over but i think guys who have distinguished themselves over an extended period of time as a Chicago Cub, I feel like we have a pretty good representation across the mm-hmm. eras here. I mean, ter- go ahead. I was gonna say like Charlie Roots, the all-time winningest pitcher in Cubs history. That's a guy who probably none of us even considered really. Um, you know, Hippo guys like Vaughn. that. Yeah, a Hippo Vaughn. Uh, Orville Overall is a fun name. I always like saying. I was thinking about just drafting Kerry Wood just for the sake of drafting Kerry Wood. I love Kerry Wood. I thought about Jake Arrieta just because he was so good in that first go around. 
Now, here's a here's a question for you. Here's a question for you as a, a great postscript, extra credit question. Who is your play-by-play voice for your team? Mm. I'm going to put both of you on the spot here. I will go first and give you a moment to gather your thoughts. I'm going to take Pat Hughes off the board. He is the play-by-play voice, simulcast TV and radio for Team Randall. Is, is it my turn? Yeah, go sure. for it, Ron. Sure, go for it. I, I got to go with the guy that, that won me over, Harry Carey. Chicago Cubs didn't get the greatest Harry Carey of all time. You go on YouTube, type in Harry Carey. You can hear some awesome broadcasts back in the day. We got the fun Harry Carey at the end of his career. But what's better than go on YouTube? You can find this as well. Sammy Sosa hitting a walk-off home run in May of 1996 against the New York Mets. Dallas Green's the manager in the first base dugout. Sammy hits a bomb to left field out on a wavelength to win it. Harry Carey's going nuts. And he says, and I love it. He goes, I wish more of you were here today. That's Harry Carey. That's what I grew up on. So I'll take Harry in the booth. That was fun. Even if those teams were just God awful. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm stuck over here, but uh, you know, a lot of names come to, to thought, I, you know, you know, you get chip. I could get, uh, you know, Len obviously would be a great choice. Uh, Tom Best Brenneman, moments. Tom Brenneman, Tom Brenneman. Oh uh, yeah. Boog. Uh, Chris Myers, Ronald Reagan, you know, he's called some games out there. Uh, but I think I'm just going to go with the old school man, the guy that, you know, most of our old elders listen to, uh, Jack Brickhouse. I yeah. think, you know, you listen to watch some old highlights, you get the hey, hey, it's pretty fun. Yeah. All right. These are three pretty good teams we've put together here. For our listeners, uh, as Ronan said earlier, we do have a, a table in our, our rundown here so that we can keep track of our teams. I will take this table and I will post it on our Twitter account after mm. tomorrow's episode posts so that you can read along with us and see where we end up. So you will not have to uh, keep notes during this episode to our faithful listeners. We will put up the written version of this so you can see where we ended up. And that's eight at BT wild podcast for anybody. I don't know if we mentioned yep. that earlier. We did, yes. but it's always good to mention okay, it again. Oh, then my bad. It's always good to mention branding, it multiple times in case branding, you missed it. Branding is essential. Yeah. And uh, Cap Ants and Hate Mail, bring it right over here. Fantastic player for all the things that, uh, yeah, you know how that goes. Different times, all that, all that stuff. But I like the managers too. Lou, Joe, Don Zimmer, uh, just some so many characters in Chicago Cubs history. That's why these owners got to get this figured out. There are characters ready to take the field here in April and maybe a pennant winning team if they can get things figured out. Uh, Randall, before this lockout is over, and you know, I hope this means we got to hurry and get this done here soon, you got to do the same thing with your least favored player at every yeah. position. Oh, do we do we have oh, to yeah. do we could that? have multiple is... we could figure out more, more than one draft. We have multiple drafts. Oh, is that is is that a thing we have I'm, to do? I was I wondering, you know, that. Daniel Descalso is going to be in there. Daniel uh, Randall, Murphy, Sogard, favorite relief pitcher in the Ooh, time you've been following the least cup. favorite relief pitcher. Kevin Gregg is certainly an honorable <laughs> mention on this list. You know, I feel like there's so many names on this list that I would just never want to see take the mound for the Cubs again. I would have to probably look at a like a list of relief pitchers in the last 10 years. And I feel like every name on that list would be like a cannonball hitting me in the chest repeatedly. So if you want me to come up with a 10 least favorite relievers, we can go that route. But I cannot promise you it will be pretty or suitable for public consumption. Do you've got a clear number one in terms of most hated Cubs? Most like hated guy that Cubs. You just, like you just hear his name and you you just get pissed off. You know, it's it's probably a tie between Daniel Murphy and Eric Sogard. <laughs> Daniel Murphy won because I hated him even before he came to the Cubs. Between public comments, between the 2015 postseason where he had the the month of his life and almost single-handedly knocked the Cubs out of the playoffs that year. And then he comes in late in 2018 and he becomes the perfect poster child for that team collapsing five damn games up on the division on Labor Day. And they end up going to game 163. No, 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 it's okay. It's in the past, <laughs> but Daniel Murphy's probably on that list. Cause I hated him before the Cubs. And to me, he's just perfectly emblematic of that 2018 September collapse. Jeremy, do you have a hated cub? I hated Cub. Um, I don't. I don't know. There's no. I, there's nobody I really like. There's guys I disliked. You know, obviously. You know, I. For, I'm trying to think of somebody that like. I really just 
did not like. Uh, you know who I just really did not like that I'm surprised we don't talk about enough? Hmm. Uh, Aaron Miles. Oh. Just, I was not a fan of Aaron Miles. That was a bad, bad deal for the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> yeah. Everything about that was bad. It, that That's like a, a proto kind of, you know, Daniel Descalso deal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no question. Um, I definitely, if you ask me that, the first name that comes to mind, and maybe it's unfair, but man, he was an ass. Todd Hundley. Oh, yeah. It just didn't work out well. No part of that worked out well. On the field, off the field, lots of problems with that guy. Um, that certainly named Kent Merker. I know we were talking about him recently. I really don't like Kent Merker. Uh, I didn't enjoy him in that Cubs team, and 4 was uh, really a, a fantastic team until – the end of the season. And when it got bad, Jeremy, it got, it got really, really ugly. And Kent Merker was right in the middle of it. Yeah. That team ended up winning more games than the O three team. And yet yeah. one in six in the final seven games. And the only game they won was on the last day of the season when they were eliminated. Yeah. Yeah. That was tough. Um, something Victor else Diaz. I was, I fell down the YouTube rabbit hole the other day and Randall, I, I was amped in the apartment. I was sitting here put it on. It's kind of going through shuffle where I started with a Sammy Sosa clip and then it went on shuffle and autoplay and all that. And Randall, it was the Sammy Sosa and Moise Salou back to back to beat the Reds in April of 20, uh, 2004. An all time classic. An all time classic. Bomb to right center to tie it. Alou goes out to Waveland to win it. Do you remember who that was off? Danny Graves. Oh, None yes. Other than Danny yeah. Graves. That's a vintage Cubs moment from a fun team that got real ugly at the end. But that back, that was a Friday afternoon at Wrigley. And the thing that stood out to me about the clip, it was about a five and a half minute clip and it showed the second half of Sammy's at bat and then Alou and the post interview with Alou at the end of the game, which is kind of fun to see Chip going through that. But the, the fact that Wrigley Field was completely packed in a game that the Cubs had, the Cubs had a huge deficit in that game. I think they scored two runs each in the last three or four innings to ultimately win it. Place was full in the ninth inning, a cold April, or I actually think the weather was hot that day. I, was say, I, was, it was, nice it day. Was, I yeah. remember it being a very pleasant day. Yes. You're, you're right. You're totally right. But it was April though. Ivy wasn't in yet. It just, it, you know, it wasn't the same as a July or August game, something like that. And yet the place was full. They were there to the end. And that's about as exciting of a finish as you're going to have. So I like that 04 team until the end. Yeah, I did too. I like that. <laughs> they were great until, you know, September. Nomar, oh, exciting times at the trade deadline. Uh, we're getting ready here to wrap up episode number 53. 53 is a number that has been worn primarily by Cubs relief pitchers, Randall. Uh, but there have been some good names over the years. I want to start with a starter. We've been teasing this for two weeks now. Dick Mountain, Rich Hill with the Cubs from 2005 to 2008. And he just keeps going. We're big Rich Hill fans on behind the yellow line. Rich Hill, the ageless wonder. He's still going out there throwing his mid-80s fastball, throwing that same big overhand curveball coming from the left side that he threw when he was a member of the Cubs. He keeps going, and good for him. Uh, you know, as we get into the, the mid-50s and eventually the upper 50s and into the 60s, the names are going to thin out a bit. There's going to be some some fun names that pop up here or there. But I'd say we're past a lot of the biggest names in team history. 53 certainly has some interesting names to it. Wellington Castillo jumps out at me. He's got the one L in his name because uh, Wilson stole the other L in his name. And that's why Wilson has two L's in his name. Uh, a name that jumps out at me here, Francis Beltran, the flamethrowing relief pitcher for the early to mid 2000 Chicago Cubs. He, of course, would go in the Nomar Garcia Parra deal. He would end up going yeah. to the Expos. So Francis Beltran, a player from my formative years as a Cubs fan. Some other fun names on here. Uh, Trevor Cahill, a reliable swingman for the 2015-2016 Cubs. Wesley Wright, who was fairly effective uh, <laughs> as a, a left-handed reliever for the 2014 Cubs. Something I'll always remember about Wesley Wright is that I was at a game late in the 2014 season when the bullpens were still down the lines at Wrigley. And of course, you got a lot of pitchers on the staff in September. Poor Wesley Wright. There was no room left on the bench. He had to sit on an overturned uh, baseball bucket. Poor guy. Um and oh, and of course, this name jumped out at me. How could we forget? 
you got to be some kind of strong. Dave Otto <laughs> wore number 53 in his one season as a Cub. And of course, it was the 1994 season. That's perfect Dave Otto <laughs> that his one season as a Cub was in 1994. So there are some, as always, there are some fun names uh, on the number 53 list. Yeah, I, I think we'd be remiss to overlook uh, uh, former coach on the Cubs in 1962 to 1965, Buck O'Neill, Hall yeah. of Famer now. Or number 53 for the Cubs. So I think you got to mention Buck. And then, of course, another one for Randall, uh, probably one of his favorites, Cafecito, Lil Cafecito. Jose Martinez did all that great yeah. stuff in the Cubs. I had, I had higher hopes for Cafecito as a member of the Chicago Cubs after watching him <laughs> seemingly uh, torment the Cubs as a member of the Cardinals. It did not work out. I don't believe he had a hit in his time as a Cub, but that is what happens um, occasionally. But nothing you can do about it. And I think uh, Mika Bowie. I want to. Was he required for Terry Mulholland? I want to say that uh, sounds right. Nineteen ninety nine. Lanky pitcher. Mm-hmm. Micah Bowie. Right. Micah Bowie. Yeah. Micah Bowie. Yeah. Micah yeah. Nineteen ninety nine with the Cubs. Kurt Miller. Ninety eight. Ninety nine. Here's what I did want to say though. Jeremy has been off air. We've got the chat. We got multiple chats that we're in together. But Jeremy has been just raving for the last ten days or so about someone by the name of. I'm even laughing saying it. <laughs> I can't get it out. Mike Crack. Yeah. So, Jeremy, with that in mind, Mike the Crack. coach before Buck O'Neill. I'm surprised you passed on it. Harry Kraft? Harry Kraft. Good old Harry Kraft. Uh, you know, I hey, can take a Harry Kraft out. But I would also like to point out that Mike Crack is not – he's a real person. He is the new – uh, team principal at Aston Martin F1 team. So, uh, you know, if you're anybody's getting into F1, just be on the lookout for my crack. <laughs> and Jeremy, you mentioned Buck O'Neill, the newly minted Hall of Famer. That's something we'll have to discuss by the time we record again, is the Hall of Fame announcement is set for January 25th. We record this on the evening of January 19th. By the time we get together again to uh, record our dulcet tones into our microphones, I believe we will have the Hall of Fame announcement to discuss and analyze and break down. So that's something we can look forward to for next time. For sure. For sure. I'm going to make just an awful joke coming out of that too. Yeah. Just thinking about great coaching names over the years with the Cubs, Dick Pohl. Dick Pohl. Has to come to the top of the list for many, many folks. Dick Pohl has to slide down the list. (laughs) All right. I got uh, one more thing here that I want to end with is not Cubs related and uh, a little bit of drama off air. And I thought the best thing we could do was bring it to the air. We've talked from time to time about the Chicago Bulls on this podcast. Randall's excited about the Bulls. He's been telling us week in and week out, watch the Bulls, watch the Bulls, watch the Bulls. So Jeremy and I watch the Bulls, and we see blowout loss, blowout loss, blowout loss. Well, it's Jeremy, hold on, hold on. Jeremy says they are frauds. Randall are the Chicago Bulls frauds. Well, it seems to me we found the problem. You two start watching, and it all goes to shit. No, they're they're in a rough spot right now. You're missing Lonzo Ball with a knee issue. You're missing Zach Levine with a knee issue. They're in a rough spot right now. It's a tough spot in the schedule. They're playing a lot of makeup games due to uh, COVID postponements. But you know what? They did win tonight. They put the finishing touches on a nice win over the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are a much improved team as we recorded this episode. So they're back on track. Alex Caruso, defensive specialist, energy guy. Uh, he's back in the lineup after both a foot injury and a bout of COVID. So you know what? They're in a they built up a real nice cushion here. Get everybody healthy. Finish out the last three months of the season strong. I'm I'm not worried. I just get everybody back healthy, and I think they're going to be okay. No, Jeremy, I do not believe they are frauds. Mm. Jeremy frauds. thinks they're frauds. I think I think all I know is I, I sat down to watch a Bulls game. I sat down to watch them play the Nets, and then they got their butts kicked. Sat down to watch them play the Warriors. They got their butts kicked. And every game I'm sitting down to watch them to get their butts kicked. So I'm, stop I'm watching. Happy, I'm happy they won today. I watched, I watched a little bit of today's game. Uh, they won that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, they have some guys on their team that I think, you know, they acquired that were playing a little bit, probably a little bit above expectations. I, I think they're probably a playoff team. I, I just don't think they're number one team in the No, they're, they're, they're probably not or the number title, one team in the Or a, a Eastern Conference title contender by no, like a you four know or what? five seed. So to yeah. me, I, I, think they're, I think they've been a little overhyped, I just feel like, by uh, some fans. No, I don't think they're the number one seed necessarily either. I think they're a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. You you know, we can quibble over whether they're Eastern Conference title, def- title uh 
contenders. We can quibble over that if we want. I think they're a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. And like I said, get to, you know, your guys back healthy and make hay the rest of the season. They won tonight shorthanded. I think they can do it. And Jeremy, I don't know how you could call the Bulls frauds when they have not one, but two of your ex Illini guys on the oh. roster right now in rookie sensation, Ayo Dosumu. And again, I'd like to thank the Bulls for telling me it's pronounced Dosumu before they drafted him. I thought it was Dosunmu, which shows you how much attention I pay to college basketball. And you've got Malcolm Hill, another one of your Illini guys. So I don't see how you could be so down on your hometown NBA team with two guys from your number one college basketball team, Jeremy. I just don't know how you can do that. I, I, I Well, I did, what I'm hearing is that definitely, Randall, you should have been following and watching way more Illini basketball. That seems like a misstep right there. Get right um, on that. Yeah, you would have known about great guys like I would assume who next year you're going to learn about Kofi Coburn instead of Kofi Cockburn. It's actually Kofi Coburn. I appreciate um, you telling me that so I don't make yeah, an embarrassing mistake. Exactly. Down the line. Uh, Kofi Coburn. Um, but no, I love Io. I love Malcolm. I love seeing Io like he's playing great and Malcolm falling out. Malcolm getting a two way deal is great. He's around for the rest of the year. So. Yeah, you know, I just think I just think, you know, I, th- I think they've just been a little overhyped. I think, you know, they're probably a middle of the pack Eastern Conference team, in my opinion. But I don't watch much basketball. So, yeah, there you go. Long, NBA. long way to go too. Uh, things will really heat up in April and then May and maybe even into June if the Bulls can get some things figured out here. I know Randall's ready for that. I just hope the Cubs are playing baseball by June. Uh, let's hope yeah, that they've kind I of hope so too. that point. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll be back next week. Uh, episode number 54 of Behind the Yellow Line. For Mike North's biggest fan, Jeremy Spector, and the Catman, David Kaplan's number one fan, Randall J. Sanders, this is Ronan O'Shea. We'll see you next week right here on Behind the Yellow Line.